0: Amen. Good morning. morning. Thank you guys for being here this morning. There is a lot of people. This is awesome. We got a full house this morning. Thank you guys for being here this morning. My name is Jared Weldon and I am the youth ministries director here at Flipside. Um, I'm excited to see a lot of youth kids in the room this morning. Good for you guys for being here. As we dive into John chapter 20 this morning, I want to start us off in prayer together. So bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you that we get to come here and praise you and lift your name high in this place this morning. Father, I thank you for for providing us with a place to come and worship you and praise you and thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray that your words would be heard this morning. Father, that your words would be spoken this morning, that that your words would be translated so that we can understand it. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness over our lives. Bless us this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. I want to start off and... Uh, and say that I am super thankful for this opportunity for Pastor Carl allowing me to stand here and present a message. My parents are here this morning. Got to shout them out. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Um, and Thank you guys for letting me come and present us with a, a message this morning. I'm excited that we get to dive into John chapter 20 together. So, John chapter 20, the resurrection. We made it. We have become so familiar and comfortable with this passage that I believe that it has become overlooked and we fail to be amazed by the fact of the resurrection. You know, I I grew up in the youth ministries here and we would go to winter camp every year together, uh, me and Pastor Carl's sons, Caleb and Wyatt, and we became so familiar with the messages that were being spoken at winter camp that we felt like and we talked about We felt like we could give the message at winter camp. It's the same thing over the three days, over the weekend. We felt like we could give it, and I feel like we've become in the same position with with the resurrection. Every Easter, we hear it taught. I feel like we've become so accustomed to it that we might even feel like we could preach it or teach it ourselves. So this morning, I want to look deeper into it and, and maybe renew that amazement of the fact of the resurrection. Of all the the thousands of religions in the world, the vast majority of them focus on their principles and tenets. Only four of these religions, of all the religions, are based on the personality of their faith. Judaism based on Moses the lawgiver, Christianity based on the Christ, Buddhism based on Buddha, and Islam based on Muhammad. Of those four, the only four that are based on the personality of their faith, of those four, Christianity is the only one that makes the claim of a resurrection. And this makes Christianity very unique. So if you have a Bible and you brought one with you this morning, uh, or you're on your phone, I want you to turn to John chapter 20 as we dive into it together. It starts off, in verse one, and says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, how early is it? We believe that it was probably during the fourth watch, which is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not awake from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. for just no reason. I'm usually sleeping peacefully at that time. So why is she awake so early in the morning, the darkest part of the night? She probably couldn't sleep. She's tossing and turning. She's in turmoil. Her heart is heavy. And she has no idea what she's going to see when she gets to the tomb. Maybe you've been in a time when you just can't sleep and you're up at 3 a.m. you're tossing and turning and you get out of bed, maybe. You get on your phone, scroll through Instagram. Maybe you're waiting for a text from someone important. You know that text message is going to be important and you're waiting for it and you're in turmoil and you're tossing and turning and, and maybe you even text them before they can text you because you just can't wait any longer, or as soon as you get the text message, you open it, or maybe you have a project at work that's coming up, and you know it's going to be a daunting task, and you're in turmoil thinking about what it's going to take to get the task done, and you're stressed out about it, and you're worried about it, and you're up at 3 a.m. in the morning thinking about it. Maybe some of you guys have gone into the office at 2 o'clock in the morning because you just can't sleep, it's the feeling that you get when you you feel like you just have to do something right now. You can't sit still any longer. You can't lay in bed any longer, and so you get up and just do it. And what and and maybe you're in that position right now or you've been in that position in the past. I want you to think about a time when your mind was racing. You're tossing and turning, you're in turmoil. You're wondering What's going to come next? Mary was in this position. Mary didn't ask these questions because love doesn't ask these questions. Mary just got up and went to the tomb. Love isn't worried about making sure you get enough rest. Love isn't worried about making sure you get your beauty sleep so you can be ready for the day. It's whatever it takes to get the job done. And this was the position that Mary was in at this time. Mary had a very unique love for Jesus. It was this Mary that Jesus had drove out seven demons from her life. She came from the city of Magdala and she was more than likely a prostitute and and she had been used and abused her whole life by innumerable men. She was in a dark place until Jesus both healed her and forgave her. Jesus extended his love and forgiveness to her. And and it's the same thing that he continues to do for us today. He reaches out of us. He pulls us out of these times when we're in turmoil and and we can't sleep. He extends his love and forgiveness. And he proved his love for us in Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he offers us this forgiveness if we just receive it by faith. Our past doesn't deter God's love. Our past doesn't surprise him. Our past doesn't disappoint him. Jesus has this huge eraser, and I imagine that, that, you know, those big, thick pencils that kindergarten kids use? I imagine that it's like that on, on a like a million times bigger than that. He has this huge eraser, and there's nothing that's too big for his eraser, and there's nothing that's too small. And there's nothing that surprises him. He has his eraser ready for us. Mary felt the full joy of the forgiveness through her faith, and she just wanted to be next to Jesus. And so in all of the turmoil, she gets up and, and goes to the tomb, expecting for there to be, to be this two-ton stone in front of it. Because she wants to be near to Jesus, she felt the love of Jesus. And she wanted to be close to it. And we, we might feel this way with people here on earth. Your husband or your wife, your children, You want to be close to them because you feel joy in their presence. You want to be close to them because you feel their love. And we should want the same thing with Jesus. This should be our desire. Our desire should be near to Jesus so that we can feel his love that he's extending to us. Verses 3 and 4 continues and said this. So Peter and the other disciples started running for the tomb started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John is humble enough to refer to himself as the other disciple. But somewhere on his wall in his office, he has a plaque that says, winner of the resurrection 5K. John wanted everyone to know, he was a typical guy, and he wanted everyone to know that he beat Peter to the tomb. And it continues in in verses five and eight. It says, he bent over, this is John, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen, Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, again, he wants us to know, he also went inside and he saw and he believed. I have found myself in this position of John in the beginning in verse 5, where he gets to the tomb and, and he looks in and he sees, but he doesn't go in and he takes a step back he sees something i've been in and in, in, in my life i can think of many times where i've been in a position where i see something and i don't quite understand it and so i kind of just take a step back and maybe you've been in this position where you see something new you see something and and it might catch your attention but you take a step back now peter on the other hand just dives right into the to the tomb peter Peter does not hesitate. Peter lives with a blind faith. And when I have lived with this blind faith, I've realized and I've found myself in a position of trust in God. And Peter is in this position where he just dives into the tomb. And to live like this, we have to be in the position of submission to God, saying, God, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's going to happen when I enter this tomb, but I trust that you're going to protect me through it. In English, we have one word for the word saw. In Greek, there are three words, and all of them are used in this passage. In verse 5, John bent over and looked in and saw the linen lying there. And the Greek word for this is blepo. And this means to notice something, but to have no real understanding of what we're seeing. And so he notices the linens lying there, and he notices what's going on, and but he doesn't really have an understanding of it. So he kind of just takes a step back. In verse six, Peter went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. This is the this is I want I want to point out the fact that Peter went straight into the tomb. We see this a lot from Peter. He acts and then he asks questions later. Maybe you do this. You ask for forgiveness after you act. He lives with this confidence about him though that that he's just going to act out of his instinct. He sees something and he's intrigued by it so he dives into it. And it's it's the same way that we see Peter walk on water cutting the, the soldier's ear off. He rushes into the tomb and then he sees, and this is the Greek word, theoreo. We get the English word theater from it. And it's when you sit and look at something intent, intently, looking in the same direction for a long time and beginning to put things together in your head. If you go to a movie and and you haven't watched uh, the, the trailer for the movie, or you know nothing about the movie, if you stare in the direction of the screen for, for long enough, you'll begin to figure things out. You'll begin to put things together. You'll begin to have an understanding of things. I can't watch movies with my mom because she does this way too well, and she will predict what's going to happen, and she likes to tell us what's going to happen. And so I just stay away from watching movies with her. In verse 8, it says that John saw and believed. And this is the Greek word, Adon. And this is to see with comprehension and understanding. And this is why John believed. He finally put things together because he knew about the resurrection. He knew that it was coming. And he finally put things together and he understood them and he comprehended them. He got it. So I want us to consider this morning, which are you seeing with? Are you seeing with eyes of blepo? Are you simply just noticing things, but you have no real understanding of them? You have no real comprehension of them. If you're in this position, great. Stay there. Continue to see these things. Continue to read the Bible. Continue to just notice stuff. Don't worry if there's not a full comprehension yet. It takes time. The goal for for us is to make a habit of reading the Bible before we become a theologian. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're seeing with eyes of theoreo. And you've been looking in the same direction of Christ for a long time now. And you're beginning to comprehend things. You're beginning to put things together. Things are starting to make sense to you. And this is great. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus because the longer you keep your eyes in that direction, the more you will comprehend them and the more you will understand them. James one twenty five talks about the one who stares intently into God's perfect law and continues in it will be blessed in what they do. Keep your eyes on the prize. Maybe you're here this morning and you're seeing with the eyes of Adon. And this is great. This is is what we pray to be in a position. And when you open the Bible, if you're in this position, you open the Bible and things make sense to you. You comprehend the words that you're reading. You understand them. My challenge for us this morning is that we would pray for eyes of Adon. That we would pray to see with understanding. Verses 11 through 16 says this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary had such a great love for Jesus that she was willing to go get him. I can't imagine what she would have gone through to bring him back to the tomb, but she was willing to do it. Culture gets us in this position of a pessimist. The the resurrected Lord is standing in front of her, but because she's so worried about where his body is, she doesn't even realize it's him. And culture gets us into this position of a pessimist and we see something happen like Mary did and we automatically think the worst case scenario. We see something tragic happen and our mind automatically goes to the negative. And when I look back on my life, the most recent time that I can think of a tragedy that has happened in my mind has gone negative was when my dad had a stroke. And my mind automatically went to the worst case scenario. My mind automatically went into the negative thoughts. My dad went in on a Sunday and all they told us was there's something urgent and we got to take care of it. And then they continued to let him sit there in the hospital bed. And I'm like, wait, there's something urgent. We need to take care of this, right? He went in for his first surgery on Tuesday of that same week. And and they were going to do a procedure called an angioplasty. And this is, this is when they go up through the groin and they were going to try and put a little tube up there in his carotid artery to, to move the blockage out of the way so that blood flow could get to his brain. The, the, the procedure was a couple hours, and my mom was the only one allowed in the hospital at the time, and so my mom was updating us, and, and she texts us and says the surgery was unsuccessful. Again, my mind went to the negative. Okay, so, so what's the next negative thing you're going to tell me? First, it was we got to do something. First, it was my dad going to the hospital, and, and my mind is thinking negative. Now, the, the surgery that is supposed to, to heal him is, is unsuccessful. What's the next negative thing? They took him into surgery the next day, and this pr- procedure was more ex- ex- extensive and, and um, a more difficult procedure. And it was about four hours long. And again, my mom was the only one in the hospital, and she kept us updated. And after he got out of surgery, the text comes saying that the surgery was successful. And instead of praising God for the success of the surgery, my mind automatically went to what's the next negative thing? What's next? What's the road to recovery going to look like? Instead of being grateful that that the surgery was successful, my my mind went to what's the next negative thing we 're going to have to deal with? what's the next negative bit of news that we're going to get from these doctors and then came the reality of the road to recovery and and by this time, um, it, it was Friday, and my brother and I got to go into the hospital and see our dad for the first time in a week and And we got to see him go through this therapy. And I don't know if it was a good or a bad thing because because I saw the, the, the difficulties that he was having. This was his first day of therapy. And to see your father not be able to pick up his fingers. To see your father laying in a hospital bed. What's the next negative thing? And it took time for me to realize now God has done this so that I can help my father the same way that he's been helping me. I get to take my dad out of the hospital bed to go to the bathroom. I get to walk my dad down the hallways. I get to tie his shoes for him in the same way that he's, he had been doing for me the last 22 years. I get to be in the position now I'm doing the work and my dad is watching me instead of me watching my dad. And I had to trans, transform my mind into this positive thinking because culture has shaped me into a pessimist and culture has shaped me into thinking of what's the worst case scenario that can come out of this situation. And instead, I get to be with my father. I get to help him do these things. I I get to rely on the strength of Jesus. And when we submit to Jesus' authority over our lives, we can get through these situations looking for the best thing looking for the positive that if that surgery would have been successful on Tuesday, there was a high probability that a piece of that blockage would break off and cause him to be brain dead. That to be thankful that, yeah, the surgery was difficult, but it was successful. To be thankful that now I get to help my dad through these things. And to be in, a, and to be in this position now we can see the resurrection and not that the body was stolen. It was believed in these times that to cast out demons, you had to call them by name. And when Jesus healed the mute who were possessed in Matthew chapter 9, the people were amazed because nothing like this had ever been done before. And and in Mary, Jesus had cast out seven demons, but Jesus wasn't concerned, concerned about the names of the demons. He was only concerned about Mary. He was concerned about calling her by name. Jesus isn't concerned about the things that are haunting you. He isn't concerned about the names of these things that are haunting you. He's concerned about you. John 10 verse 3 says that, that he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. He doesn't have a little whistle that calls his sheep to him. He doesn't drag them out. He calls them by name, Mary, come, Jared, come. He has called Mary by name and he's led her out of her possession. He's led her out of this dark life that she has lived. Mary knows his voice. However, she's seen something that that has made her question. In her mind, she's seen tragedy. Tragedy. And nothing she sees will bring her back to Jesus. She needs to hear his voice. Maybe you've been in this position, a position where you feel lost or broken, or you're in the position where, where your attitude is, what's the next negative thing? Maybe you're, you're seeing things and they just don't make sense to you. We need to pray in these situations that we see these things and we comprehend them and we hear the voice of God through them. Mary could see the empty tomb. Mary could see the the strips of linen lying there. Mary could see the angels where Jesus was supposed to be. Mary could even see the resurrected Lord. But it wasn't until she heard his voice that she believed. Pastor Carl and I were talking earlier this week and we we said, wouldn't it have been amazing if Mary would have seen the empty tomb and said, yes. He's resurrected. Where is he? Let me find him. Let me talk to him. Instead, she thinks, who has stolen him? And she sees him and still has this negative attitude that culture has shaped us into thinking like. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Open the Bible. Hear his voice call you through the the pages, and pray for eyes of Adon to comprehend them. In verses 19 and 20, it continues on and says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of Jewish leaders. And I want to stop right there. The disciples knew about the resurrection because in verses 17 and 18, Jesus tells Mary to go and tell them about the resurrection. So the disciples know that the resurrection has happened and they know that Jesus was alive. And this should have been something that they were excited about. This should have been something that they were having a a huge party about and telling all of the people that they passed by. Yet they still lived in fear of the Jewish leaders. And not only are they locking the doors to shut out the Jewish leaders, but they're shutting out Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus is able to, to, to find a way to them. And we, we get into this position where we, we lock people out of our lives. We, we try and lock the world out of our lives. In reality, we're locking ourselves away from Jesus. Now, thankfully, Jesus is pretty awesome, and he finds a way through a locked door. The disciples in this moment took something that was on top of the world. Jesus had beaten death. Death and they brought it down to an earthly level. We do the same thing. We take something that's a miracle in that Jesus has performed in our lives, something that is on top of the world, and we bring it down to a human, earthly level. The disciples were living in fear of the Jewish leaders because they had brought in something that was above what they could comprehend they had brought in something that was a miracle jesus had beaten death and they brought it down to their level to an earthly level why do we live in fear of things what is there to fear we worship a god who has beaten death i'm pretty positive correct me after service if i'm wrong but no one in this room has beaten death The God that we serve has beaten death. We serve a God who is alive and there shall be nothing on this earth that we fear. And through all the fear that we live in and the disciples were living in this time, Jesus' message to them is this. He came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed. When they saw the Lord, even after the disciples had left him, even after they had abandoned him, even after they denied him, even after we leave him and abandon him and deny him time and time and time again, Jesus' message to us and to them is peace. He doesn't scold them. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't shame them. His voice is one of peace. It's the same thing that Jesus said to the doubter, Thomas, a week later in verses 26 and 27. He says, peace be with you. Thomas was in a position of doubt. Thomas was in a position of a pessimist. And I know that I've been in this position many, many times. And we often hear the saying, I'll believe it when I see it. And this is the attitude that Thomas had. Even in 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 all of our doubt, even when we have the attitude of if I'll believe it when I see it, Jesus shows up and not only does he prove it to us, but he proves it to us with an overwhelming amount of grace. Jesus very easily could have said, You know what, Thomas, I have proved it to you time and time again. If you don't believe it from the disciples that I've already shown, like, see you later. Jesus very easily could have done that and instead he overwhelms Thomas with with this grace and his message to him is peace be with you. His voice is the voice of grace. We can come to Jesus admitting our fault and admitting our failures and our deficiencies and hear his voice of grace. Grace. Repentance is safety, for by it we receive grace. I want to say that again. Repentance is safety, for by it we receive grace. What is it this morning that you need to repent of? Why would you deny yourself God's voice of peace and grace any longer? John wraps up chapter twenty. By saying this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that we may believe. These are written that we may believe that Christ died in our place and three days later he rose. And these are written that we may believe that Jesus is alive and he's breathing and he's walking with us today. Do you believe? Have you accepted this forgiveness that that we're talking about this morning? If not, what more do you need? What is it right now that's holding you back? What is it that, that is, is putting you in the position of John in verse 5 where you see something and you're like, hang on, let me figure this out. What is it that's keeping you from the love of Jesus? He wants a relationship with you. He is alive. Like we talked about earlier, Christianity is the only of all the religions that makes the claim of the resurrection. And this is important to understand and to live by, that we serve a God who is resurrected, that we serve a God who beat death and he wants a relationship with us. And if you don't have a relationship with him, why? What do you need to see? What more do you need? All he wants is for us to say yes to his love. I want you to pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that we get to come here and worship you and praise you and lift your name high in this place. Father, I thank you that your voice is the voice of grace. Father, I thank you that even after we have denied you and betrayed you and left you, your voice is a voice of grace and your message to us is peace be with you. If you're in this place this morning and you have not accepted the the love and forgiveness of Jesus this morning, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to die in my place. I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I am broken. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I accept your love and your forgiveness. I say yes. Jesus, help me to love you more. Help me to to live a life like you. I wanna know you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives. We thank you and we praise you and we lift your name high that you are the living hope in this dark world. We thank you that you took our place so that we can stand here and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness over our lives. Father, I pray that we would worship you well. We ask all of these things in your precious and your powerful name, amen. Amen.